This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, psychologist and author Dr. Jody Carrington wants to help you feel seen. We go through her tips on how to reconnect with your life and how to get the acknowledgement you need this year. Her brand new book is out as of Tuesday. It's awesome when we talk about it. What can Ukraine do while Russian missiles strikes continue? Foreign policy expert Hannah Shalist is live in Odessa and updates us on the going on of the conflict and how the war is creating a unifying but traumatic cause for Ukraine, including the helicopter crash that has people on it that happened while we were on the air that Hannah knows and studied with. Plus, are you okay with reality TV, Valentine's Day, and more? It's all in the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. If I'm going to be open with you as much as I possibly can be here on the Shift, I will say to you that there are a couple of pieces of this puzzle in this world that are my favorite. Number one is clearly, if a tree falls in the forest, is anybody here? That would be you, the Shifthead community, and everything that you give me, you're listening. I have said many times that the gift that is given is not the words that I give to you on this show, uh, because I say them once. Uh, it's your listening that you give to me, right? And so when you give me your listening, uh, that happens thousands of times. So you are the one that's giving me the gift when we're all here on this program. And that's why the Shifthead community and our Facebook group is so important. Now, that being said, the other part is the people I get to meet. And through the course of the last few years now, and I don't want to say how many years because we're going to date ourselves, Jody, um, but it's been, it's been a few years now that we met through a forum similar to this one and started to um, you know, do a little bit of work and, and chat and keep in touch. And I love that. Dr. Jody Carrington is a psychologist. She's an author, and she's from Olds in Alberta and does all kinds of public speaking and writing too and is here uh, now, not to mention um, a, a Costco friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if we haven't hit it before, then I mean, shopping in the same Costco means clearly. Yes, that's forever. what Friends is made of. Um, congratulations, Jody Carrington has a brand new book out, um, which I have don't understand how you have time to write all these things, but you do, and you did. And this one, I mean, I probably said this with everything you've written. This one hits me the most, Jody. But it does. It's like you're. It's like you're living rent free in my head, and that's concerning. Oh, I think that's that was the whole goal, Shane. So we just did it. Uh, I love it. This new book is called Feeling Seen, and you know, since we've met, there's been just such a journey in this process of, you know, what. Um, how can we not be scared of talking about some really critical things? And um, I think there's such beauty in the hard conversations. And how do you lean into that? So much of this for me in feeling seen was this world is so disconnected. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about in my office as a psychologist, you know, why, are, why is the mental health crisis upon us? How do we ever friggin' survive the pandy? Why is burnout an issue? Why do we want to throat punch everybody we see? Why, when we have so much access to resources and research and education, you know, do people feel so isolated and alone? Like, what is the deal? And I think that the answer is so simple. Uh, we're wired for connection. Neurophysiologically, we disconnect from each other, we die. And in the history of the free world, particularly since we've been alive, we have never been this disconnected. We look at our children far less than our forefathers, foremothers did. We look at our partners far less. We spend far less time playing cards, dancing, 
belly laughing than we ever did before. And the cost is massive. Feeling seen um, is such an amazing thing because we can be in front of people, Jody, but we cannot feel seen. We can get in front of people and have them not even look at us. And this, this is where this gets really scary, I think, in the conversation because the assertion, if I understand correctly, is not only do you need to get out of the house, but you have to share yourself a little bit. And I've, I can speak for everybody, and I think I can put this blanket over it when I say, yeah, but I shared myself once and I got screwed. I got hurt. Someone took advantage of me, right? We've been through this. We've been authentic. We've tried to be authentic, and it did not work out. And yet here we are needing it more than ever, and people are truly terrified to share themselves. Here's the problem, okay, is that the thing we need most, the healthiest among us on this planet, remain vulnerable. The most vulnerable emotion on the planet is joy. So those of us who are most open to other people, the thing we need the most, okay, in this ridiculous twist of irony is also the relationship with people, looking and seeing at people, despite the fact it's the thing we need the most. It is the thing that hurts us the most in this lifetime. It is the thing that has the potential to destroy our souls the most. Other people, huh? So here it is. We are saying to each other, what we need the most is to get back into relationship, connection, reconnection with other people. Mm, here's the subtext. It is likely the things where you have experienced the most pain in yeah. relationships. True. So you can understand, right, that that there is the conundrum is how do we encourage this human race, particularly those who've been hurt or marginalized or traumatized to say, just a second, we need actually you to lean in a little bit more. OK, so we're going to just reconnect and look at each other. Do you know what other people want to say right now? I'd, I'd rather not because we have also never had so many exit ramps. You can order your groceries at home. You can send feedback online. You can work from home. You don't have to step out of your house. I if you're be a anonymous too. community, what? I could be anonymous Wait. and have an opinion. Yo, Twitter, hello. <laughs> and the problem, obviously, with that is that the less you allow yourself to feel seen from uh, by other people, the less you will be able to give it away. And the more you give it away, huh? that's the answer. And I don't mean like soul bearing vulnerability. I mean, little things right now, a compliment, buying coffee for the guy in the lineup behind you, giving somebody a wave at the hockey rink, those three things collectively can not only change a life, it could save it right now. Hmm. And so many people say to me, you know what? I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I, I have nothing left to give to other people. I am done. And the interesting thing to me, first of all, is that, I mean, I am so sorry that that is where so many people are in this moment. Highest rate of suicide in this country is middle-aged men. We have never ever for the first time in history, we have now seen psychological, emotional illness, killing people we love at faster rates than physical illness. That's ridiculous, huh? Mm -hmm. The question is, when we feel like nobody's done it for us, when we feel so isolated, it means any resource we have to get through this life together becomes obliterated. And if we increasingly become like that, my biggest take on this whole thing comes back to one statement that I think the most profound string of words in the English language, I think you and I have talked about this before, for me was said by a dead guy named Ram Das. He said this, we are all just here walking each other home. I remember you telling me that. Yep. 
It's beautiful. Uh, it's exactly what it is. And I, for the rest of my days, will speak about it because, in fact, it hangs over my shoulder in my office because I have to re be reminded of that every single day because here's the problem. We don't arrive. None of us do. Nobody, I have met nobody on this planet to date that is simply happy. There's this elusive thing that we all put on the social media, on the Facebook and the Snapchat and the TikTok and the, all the things, Instagram. Everybody else is happy. No, they're not. You, I have not met anybody who wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what? Holy shit. I am so happy. I'm so happy with this body. I, this is exactly what I thought a 47-year-old mother of twins should look like. Oh my God. You know what else I'm happy about? My parenting. I'm so happy. With the partner I chose, my God, this, are they so like, no one's happy. Everybody is in this state of wondering if they're enough. And what we miss in those moments is slowing down enough to understand it is about stringing together moments of joy. The emotion of joy is the most vulnerable one on the planet. People say to me, no, 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 it's fear or it's it's terror, it's anguish. That's where I'm at my most, most vulnerable. No, 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 it's joy because you are emotionally regulated you have access to the best parts of yourself and you are allowing yourself to be ready for the world that only happens in moments of joy and i say to people you tell me the last time it it was that you danced in your kitchen or you belly laughed or you walked into the staff room at work and somebody you know made you laugh or you were like oh, this is what i'm gonna do tomorrow i think what we should do is like get everybody these high and if we jump out and scare her let's see what happens oh my god if you work in a team like that i promise you your mental health your productivity your creativity your innovation is remarkably higher than teams that don't do that and your burnout rate is remarkably lower it comes back to our ability to feel seen in the places that we live and we work that result in the healthiest and the most fulfilled among us. We're not here for a very long time. That has become starkly clear to me in the last few weeks in our own family. And it's amazing to me. We, our days are, we don't know how many heartbeats we have left. So you have a choice to be able to step into that sometimes. And those of us, it's very easy for me in this privileged position. I started on third base to be able to say joy is a choice, but I truly believe optimism is something that you seek. And if you can't find anything to be grateful for in this moment, keep looking. Mm -hmm. Because I promise you, I sat in the front row of a funeral yesterday, and I will tell you that there was a multitude of joy. And it is so critically important, I think, in this moment where we feel like nobody else can fill us up. When we seek connection in others, they may not be ready to give it to us. And it's because right now, most of us feel empty, disconnected, unseen, and you can't give away something you've never received. So our job is not to do this in mammoth proportions. It is simply to do the next best right kind thing. Whatever you got today is enough. It does not have to be great. And where we lose our ability to do that is we get overwhelmed and thinking like, holy, shit, there's a mental health crisis amongst us. There is poverty and homelessness and food insecurity issues. And what do we do about this? And <gasps> there's all of those things that need our attention. Yes, yes, yes. I will never take that away for a second. Our only job is to do the next best right kind thing. And if you only knew how powerful you were and how do we remind you of that 
I think is the place that we need to enter into this conversation with to keep everybody in the game, including you and me. Well, it's beautiful. And I, I would like to take a couple of things you said and apply them into my life. And I'll share things that I've gone through by your uh, example. Allow me to be the proxy um, to, to maybe show how this stuff lands for people who don't know how to maybe do that. Vulnerability is, <laughs> I would, you said that thing about um, how joy, right, and fear I would go this way. Like we all just, I think it's time for us just to accept that fear is the default. That really is just the default. I mean, when, when we, we go backwards in time, a couple thousand years and we walked out of the cave, Jody and I walk out of the cave first thing in the morning. Cause that many lifetimes ago we were cave people. And you very, the very first thing we didn't say was, Oh, what do I feel like doing today? The very first thing we said thousands of years ago was, is anything going to kill me? Right? Like, much like a dog spins in a circle on its bed before it lies down, there are things that are just that are there <laughs> and they're there. Okay. Now, joy, on the other hand, joy is much like integrity to me as the guy I love words. I write about words. That's my thing. Joy is a lot like integrity. Joy is not distinctly independent of other emotions. You can sit there and be in this moment of joy and have other emotions that come in and dance with it. You can feel loss, you can feel happiness, you can feel sadness, you can feel confusion. And at the same time, you can feel joy. It's like integrity. You can be in integrity and still feel sad. You can be in your integrity and still feel like you lost, right? You or can still feel be like an asshole. And yeah. still be an ass. Like you, you can literally, you can be in all kinds of uh, places at once when you're in these extraordinary bubbles of things. And the cool thing about it all is that nobody else can know what your joy is. They can experience the impact of your joy. That's that ripple effect of what you're creating when you're in that place. And that to me is the most beautiful. And I'm gonna share a specific one for me. And maybe it sounds silly to you, and I, I, this is my habit of creating padding when I feel like I'm about to share myself. <laughs> this, this is what I do, this is my pattern. Is that, so uh, now I dilute it. Um, but this summer, I did a ton of work on significance. Okay. that I didn't see my significance. Now, with the help and guidance of some amazing coaching and leaders, I learned to go, whoa, why do I not only not see my significance distinctly different than feeling insignificant at the same time? And that's that power you talk about. So this is me. This is what I go through. I go through that regularly. So if you are thinking, well, you know, ah, that's not me and I'm bad at this or I'm terrible. There you go. There's Shane Hewitt and Shane Hewitt struggles with his significance in the world all the time. I feel feelings right now. There's emotion that comes up in my heart just because the fact that I know it's very real. Now, here's what I've learned when I'm able to share those moments this is where the community settles in and they all come in and they all put their arms around. I will get messages because people probably have already sent them saying, hey, you're significant to me because that's what you do because you care and you're kind. So uh, I hope that your feeling seen storyline and my sharing of that uh, dance to what being seen is like. And the people show up. They absolutely show up when you express yourself and you sort of dance into your proverbial kitchen. Yes. And I think, I think that's the, the biggest issue in so many of these things, right? Is that like, I got the best note the other day on social media. It's like, I haven't even met you and I feel seen in your presence. So here's the interesting thing, right? You 
have such a remarkable power to do that when you're a, you know, a, a radio host, when you are um, somebody who fleetingly interacts with people during the day, a police officer, a nurse, um, a, a, a 911 operator, um, and think about the capacity for people like cashiers and um, you know, human services providers and teachers. Mm -hmm. When you just think about our interaction in the run of a day, what our capacity is to not only you know, change a life but save it just by showing up, I think in some way, my gosh, give us the best you got. And feeling seen because it truly is something that is almost spiritual to me. It is often happens without words. It often happens even without sound. It's possessed by all of us and it's mastered by none. It is that ability in, in, in any given moment. I mean, it can happen in the heartbeat on the side of the road when somebody stops after you've been in the accident and just says, look at me. It's okay. I got you. Jump in my car and stay warm. Mm -hmm. I, you have seen me in my moment of need and I, oh my gosh, you are my favorite person in the world. Sometimes it takes years and years and years of developing a relationship to believe that I can trust you enough to be you know, engage in a relationship with you and give you my heart and, you know, have children with you or whatever the question is. Huh? There's no timeline to feeling seen. And often you get what you give in that exchange. Uh, that's important. I got you. That's good. Make sure you touch people. Just make sure you don't touch people <laughs> or don't touch people as long as you make sure you're touching people. All of those rules apply. <laughs> those are very good rules for life in general. Um, very good. This book is is unbelievable. Um, can you maybe share your heart, Jody? Um, you know, you're a psychologist. You're an author. What's one way in your life maybe you can acknowledge someone? I know that you've uh, shared much with me too privately, but one moment that someone makes you feel seen that just really resonates for you. Acknowledgement's a big one for me. Uh, acknowledgement makes me feel seen. Um, agree or disagree? It's still acknowledged, right? Um, and the, what, what's one thing for you that you can share from your life where someone really is good at it or what, what is the tactic they use that makes you feel seen? Oh my gosh. I think that that is such a good question. You know, I, I think if I think about the millions of times that I have ever, you know, been across somebody, we were talking about running into each other in Costco, there's something about the genuineness of somebody's compliment, somebody's noticing of. See, because the golden thread that sort of ties anything around feeling seen together is this capacity for empathy to truly without judgment or need for compensation to come in and notice you, to hold space for, to see when anybody ever genuinely, you know, gives me a compliment when they notice me with my children when there is that slowing down of sort of giving that um i think just time and space that you took the time out of your day to give me uh to notice me to tell me something about that i had done um particularly here's the thing where i sometimes think it's powerful when there is absolutely no gain on the other side if it's not genuine it loses its power if you believe it needs to happen just one time and that's enough, we're relentlessly, it's never enough. If I think about truly the, the acknowledgement, um, the, the definition of acknowledgement, you know, it, it is a genuine act of bearing witness to. And I think that the other thing is um, it's not an apology. 
when I'm going to acknowledge somebody, it truly is something that I am noticing about them that they've ever accomplished or endured. And for a moment, I have to be in that space to give it to them. And one of the people who did that to me so beautifully, you know, I often talk about in the book, I talk about how do you stay in the game after it feels like the world is throat punching you repeatedly? And I I needed this because I wrote this book for me because there were so many times where I'm like, okay, I could see how screwed up the world is. Here's the all the places that the world has disconnected us. That's the first half of the book, Shane, which is really depressing to tell you. The, the first half of the book is really ripping your soul out because again, you can't address what you don't acknowledge. We do a big thing in this world trying to Mary Poppins, the ever loving Jesus out of everything when we're like, it's good, it's okay. We're fine. Yep, we're good. But I knew that unless we use the first half of this book, if we didn't use the first half of this book to rip it apart, here's all the reasons why. Think about trauma and grief and a lack of emotional language and a disconnection and proximity to each other. Marginalization, racism, colonization is the heart of disconnect, right? When I think about that, here it is. Here it is. Here's why we feel so fucking tired. Here's what we do about it. And here's how we stay in the game. And at the end, I talk about five people who I've identified in my world that I've been lucky enough to walk this life with. And they are the people who taught me the most about feeling seen. My mom, my grandpa, one of my best friends who lost her battle to cancer at 44. Um, she's my people. And I often think about her the most, you see, because death ends a life, not a relationship. And when I think about people who have made me feel seen, it is the ones that know my character to the core. It doesn't mean they're always kind. They will give me the quickest kick to the knees when I need to be humbled. And I often think about this, if a bra or makeup is required, they're not your people. If they can make you belly laugh, they're in. And typically they know your middle name and you don't have to say many words. And I love that about this is why I think I'm so lucky in this world is I can give you a list of people who have done that for me, who um, I am so happy to do that for um, as often as I can, you know, when I'm in, in the place to do that and to give it away. And often when I'm able to do that, I'm at my best. That's my judge of just how overwhelmed or overworked or exhausted or in a state of a anxious depressive phase I'm in, it's um, uh, really measured by how much I'm able to give it away. If that, that touches me, I can feel it, the relationships when you speak to about those people. When I, um, if that inspires you and that feels like it's um, uh, the kinds of relationships that you have and are grateful for or would like to have, um, that's, where, that's where the work starts. And... Um, and there you go. It's feeling seen. I'm going to put the link up for uh, Jody Carrington's website up at uh, shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group so everyone can link and access it. And um, I am grateful for you. And we are recording this in the daytime just because of, you know, life and you have kids and a career. Um, and I will leave you uh, with this little note because we are on a video call and the, the daylight is out, even though when everyone's hearing this, the daylight is not out. And um, you have a massive impact on me. You always have. I've enjoyed your spirit. I've enjoyed every conversation. I've enjoyed it and laughed hard when you blew my doors off on Highway 2 driving like an ass one day. I got a kick out of that. Um, but I do, I am left with this moment right now. And the moment is this. How lucky is that sunbeam that has the privilege to land on your beautiful face right now? 
and that is um, that is sharing yourself with other people like Jody does with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, sir. This is the Shift Podcast. We are five weeks away from a one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, and that's a staggering number to me. There's been lots going on. We have not been able to speak to our next guest for a few weeks since before Christmas. Hannah Shalis joins us from Odessa. Uh, Hannah, thanks for being here. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It's It's been a minute. Happy holidays. Nice to hear you again. Um, so in Odessa, Ukraine, we have not had an update um, about uh, you southern folks. We've been able to chat with some of our our Kiev uh, friends and um, and everything else. Uh, how are, how are you doing? How's Benjamin? Your dog uh, is everyone you know uh, making their way through the power outages and everything else that you know that we hear is going on in Ukraine. Is it the same in Odessa as it is in Kiev? That kind of stuff. Uh, Benjamin is definitely the best because he can hide under the blanket. We cannot spend the whole day like <laughs> him. Um, but uh, in terms of electricity, you're right. Odessa, um, unfortunately, is one of those cities that been uh, um, under the biggest consequences of this. Even that our electric system was not targeted directly, but the whole country system is made in such a way that we have one of the biggest and the longest uh, electricity uh, cuts. One of the reasons is because in Odessa, a region we do not produce uh, um, electricity and we need to take it from other regions that's why to make this balance for the country some of my friends can have six eight hours without electricity per day easily they're dropping these um these missiles these long-range missiles from bombers and these these bombers can take off from belarus and they fly all over the place and when they're in the air one of the problems that they have is that the the entire country basically becomes on high alert, uh, Hannah. Sorry, we lost there. For, lost you there for one second. You were telling us about um, flying around on those missiles. Now, are these these inaccurate missiles that you're talking about that we hear? I don't know. X twenty two comes to mind. That's just from my memory. But they're basically really, really old, not very accurate, and they get dropped from the bombers. Is that the stuff you're talking about? No, no, no. The uh, those that are coming from the uh, Belarus or those that are threatened from the Belarus, that is okay. the quite a highly precise uh, missiles. The X twenty two, that is the missile that targeted the building in Dnipro. The yeah. awful pictures that uh, all the media uh, show to the world that happened uh, just a few days ago, uh, last weekend, and we already have uh, more than fifty people confirmed uh, killed in oh. that attack. The problem with X twenty two that it is anti ship missile. So you understand that Russians are using the missiles definitely not according to their purposes. And anti-ship missiles are never aimed to be very, very precise. I'm not speaking about the missile that had been developed in the 1960s. Yeah, and, um, and that's also the same one for the shopping mall that got hit a few months ago, yeah? Yes, exactly. That is the same type of missile because Russians still have a lot of them. As uh, you know, Russians have been producing a lot of missiles, but because of the sanctions for the last months, they've been able to produce a very small amount. So now they started to open very old storages of everything they can uh, use that they um, didn't decommission. And because they couldn't buy from Iran and North Korea, as they expected, it is still some delays. So they need to use more and more of these type of the missiles. Most 
of them are very uh, low precise. Uh, many of them, are because of the bad maintenance, you understand, can fall. And many of them are falling at the territory of the Russian Federation as well. So they are jeopardizing security of their own citizens as well. Uh, but the uh, final uh, result is tragedy after tragedy. And unfortunately, they still have uh, enough storage to bring uh, more debtors. So uh, when we look at all of this, I mean, the military part, as I understand it anyway, gets affected with this announcement about Challenger 2 tanks coming. Um, there's the conversation about the Leopard tanks, which can't come from Poland until Germany gives the thumbs up and says, yes, I have not seen an update in a day or so on that conversation. Does 14 tanks coming from the UK, um, what, how do Ukrainians talk about that? Do, it must be difficult, and I'm assuming a lot here, so please correct me. There's a certain amount of uh, it's about time, but then at the same time, there's probably a lot of gratitude, too. There are a lot of issues uh, connected with these. started from uh, knowing how to use them because you need to have sufficient amount of the prepared uh, uh, stuff. You need to uh, uh, have the logistics, how to deliver the tanks, uh, because you, you imagine that is big and heavy. You also need the permission of the country that is a producer, like with the Leopard, for example. There are a lot of countries that are ready to give, for example, Netherlands uh, or Poland, but they cannot give just by their own decision. According to the international law, they need to receive permission for reselling from the producing country. And producing country is Germany that's been hesitating quite long. They've been afraid to send us uh, tanks. We're expecting tomorrow the new meeting of the so-called Rammstein group. That is the group of 50 countries that support Ukraine uh, military and usually big announcements are made uh, uh, during such uh, meetings about the new packages of support. As more and more countries the last few days are talking about tanks, we hope that finally this decision will be announced um, officially, especially that Germany wanted not to be alone. And now when you already have at least five countries who said that they are willing to give uh, um, their storage of tanks to Ukraine, it will be much easier for Germany to do so. Plus, they have a new minister of defense, and uh, we expect uh, this man to be a little bit more professional than the previous. Yeah, <laughs> you're very kind when you say that, because I would not have been. I would have made comments about sending helmets again, but you're much more uh, political uh, appropriate. <laughs> uh, thanks for that. <laughs> Hannah Shalis joins us from Odessa, Ukraine. Uh, there is some new news that has just come out in the last few minutes. I don't know if you've seen it because you've probably been on with us ever since, but they are reporting a helicopter crash this morning um, with Ukrainian police say the country's interior minister and his deputy um, and inside a helicopter crash outside of uh, Kiev. Did you hear that before we got on or is that new news to you? Uh, no, I heard, uh, and even more, these deputy minister, I have known him for almost 20 years. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, he was the uh, uh, diplomat in the past, and we used to work together on the uh, uh, several issues when he'd been still at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Even more, he'd been writing the reference to my PhD dissertation uh, um, when I've been defending. So uh, our, he was really a man of the high integrity and brilliant mind, very, uh, I mean, qu quite young. He was just uh, 43 years old uh, with two wonderful kids. So that that, that is the huge tragedy for for the country and for the family. 
Well, I'm, I'm sorry for you as well to have someone. But how do you handle that, Hannah? I mean, you know, these things are going on around all you all the time. And, and there, there's this element of this is everyone standing up for it and the belief system. I think that the world subscribes to that Ukraine is truly, uh, you know, fighting for the entire world, not only Ukraine. There seems to be this this level of um, uh, amazement to the um, conviction of Ukrainian people. But at the same time, there, when we've spoken with some of our other friends in Ukraine, there are people from your lives has been shared with us that disappear for a few days at a time because they lose cell service or whatever. There are people like this minister that you know that's involved in this crash. And it, I mean, this is still as human as it gets. And, and so when you speak about fighting for your family, fighting for your home country, and then that's family to me. And then when you have family um, of these people that have such an impact on your life, I mean, it, it must be so hard to get through. That's always the question, because uh, uh, you mean, unfortunately, now in the country, you cannot find uh, anybody uh, without probably losses due to this war or that somebody knows something, even that we are a country of more than 40 million people. But uh, the war targeted all possible regions and all possible families. Um, that's why that probably will be the generation of those who lost uh, their close ones. Does that help, at least when you know that, you know, nobody, I mean, you, it's basically impossible to find anybody who hasn't been touched by this to just know that, I guess, the empathy is there, that the sympathy is there and the empathy is there, that people just can, they just get it. You don't even necessarily have to talk about it because everybody understands. Does, that must be a contributing factor to being able to talk about it. Uh, partially, yes. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that is like a collective trauma. And when it is the collective trauma in society, you understand that it will be coming and coming even with the generations. That's something that we will see consequences uh, uh, for the psychology, uh, for the societal architecture, for everything, for the generation. Ukraine already had several tragedies like this in the past. And we know that, uh, for example, one of our biggest tragedy of the, in 1930s, the big hunger, uh, people still see it uh, in everything from the ha family habits to the uh, perception to the certain things to the cultural issues and uh, th th that's really I mean shape uh, the generations of people even that it is already 100 years old but psychologists demonstrate what are the traits of the character being made due to this second world war had impact for many generations in different countries uh, not only uh, here and this war uh, will be the same uh, we now just can imagine what type of the consequences it will have for the society. Hannah Shalis joins us here uh, from Odessa, Ukraine. Your deputy PM made the statement, we will win this year. Now, I'm going to try to say her name. I'm going to ask you for a correction because it's a new name to me. Yulia uh, Severodenko. Is that close? How do you pronounce yes. it? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, wow. something like this. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, we will win this year. The uh, positive, although positive, still rhetoric from the government, motivating. Um, what is the tone when you're able to go for coffee? I mean, as the, um, you know, the foreign affairs expert and all the things that, that you are, that you do. I mean, I, when you go and you sit down for coffee with your friends, we will win this year. You know, um, is that motivating? Uh, uh, 
Uh, it is because I mean the whole country is saying not uh, if we win, but when we win, and mm -hmm. a lot of, of the discussions are happening in this manner. When we win, uh, we change this, or we will do this. So uh, it is uh, in the affirmative uh, statement all the time. It is definitely belief. Yeah, it is the tiredness. It's not some kind of the naive uh, or fanatic belief that we will do it, but. There is understanding that we don't have other chances and that people are ready um, to fight. Um, it's very difficult, and we understand that uh, the, this psychological um, stance maybe will not be that long. But as for now, we see that we can do it. And that is really important to remind yourself all the time that when we win, uh, the life will continue and uh, we will change the country, make it, for example, more um, uh, energy efficient uh, or less corrupted or with the uh, big attention to education. So you hear this phrase when we win in different, different spheres in Ukraine. Looking forward into it like that. Um, you, you know, is, is that exciting? Or do you allow yourself to sort of create that vision of what it looks like? The cool part is that my language that I choose here might not be quite right. Uh, I invite your correction, but the old in Soviet entanglement that was Ukraine, we have some things that are happening uh, that are that are there. You have families that are tangled. You have military that is essentially one military is fighting with fundamentally the same equipment as the other military, but the other military has all the resources to support, repair, and restock, rearm. So it's a bit of a stalemate that's going on. And this is one of the reasons I understand why assistance from outside makes all the difference in the world, because it it balances that aspect of it. But when you look at all of this, do you allow yourself to create that vision of what's next in Ukraine? I mean, you're always been about, you know, clarity about information um, with your old work before this started and making sure that, that information was clear. It, do you allow yourself to create that vision or is that a false sense of you don't quite get there yet of what the future of ukraine looks like because the future when this is done boy oh boy if you ever wanted to have a, a definitive end of the line of that old entanglement i think we've seen that the appetite to stay connected is long gone and um and what's next could be exciting or is it too soon um, no, because like you said, I'm for the clarity of the facts, but you also need not only clarity, but the sufficient amount of these facts to make the conclusions. You compared the situation uh, that had been a year ago, and this year, first of all, we've already been trying to change the weapons that both sides are using. Russians are still with the old technology with a lot of dependence. Ukraine is trying to move to the NATO technologies, even those that we produce, not only the foreign uh, assistance. And the foreign assistance that we are receiving are uh, all those NLOA, HIMARS, that's something that, or, or, or different types of the drones, that what Russians don't have. That's why we have uh, sometimes certain the superiority in terms of the innovations used. Uh, the technology, for example, for the... Um, uh, the joint monitoring and control of the battlefield. Well, the whole all infrastructure is the uh, IT infrastructure uh, for the battle. It's been created by the Ukrainian IT specialist and a few weeks ago presented for the NATO teams. Uh, they were very surprised that something like this can be developed. So it is um, synergy of the Western support and the Ukrainian capabilities. But also what is much, much more important, that is uh, willingness and understanding for what you are fighting, the moral of the forces. That's something that 
that we forgot probably for years, thinking more about technology in the war. But what now more and more generals in different countries are emphasizing that, uh, first of all, it's always people that are winning, not the tanks or helicopters. How people think, how they operate, how they understand for what they fight, uh, how they cooperate with each other, how they support each other. And that makes a huge difference on the battlefield. We see, you see what's happening with the Russian mobilization. It's not happening. Yeah, they're just uh, gathering cannon uh, of order and these people are making plenty of videos that they're just sent to death. You don't see any videos from Ukraine like this because we are defending the land, our people and uh, uh, people there understand it. And also societal support. You don't have, uh, I mean, you have uh, the war support on TV in Russia and you have huge volunteers movement um, in Ukraine. And it is both for the military and for humanitarian after um, uh, Dnipro tragedy, immediately uh, people gathered millions of hryvnas for support of those people who lost uh, their houses. Um, but, but at the same time, after the previous uh, attack at one of the civilian buildings, one of our uh, charity foundations announced for the revenge. They didn't tell what they are going to buy. They said for the revenge because people felt they want to do something. They gathered a huge amount of money, really several million dollars, and they just presented a huge amount of the new combat drones for the Ukrainian armed forces. So you see, that is like a circle, that is like a snowfall that is coming. So in these conditions, you definitely believe in this win, because you understand that you have the whole society working uh, for these, the understanding, and uh, you understand for what you fight, you know, that is probably the most important, because it's not some territorial dispute, it is not even the ideological war of the Cold War. Yep. Uh, we are defending our existence, the very fact to be who we are. Uh, the freedoms, something that for many in the West became like your ability to go and to vote for whom you want, yep, not for Mr. Putin, or to decide uh, where you want to travel or what church to go. Uh, that's for what Ukrainian people are fighting. That's why we're in the much more beneficial position in this war. Uh, Hannah Shalis joins us from Odessa, Ukraine. It's so nice to hear your voice, Hannah. Thank you for being here. Um, kind of miss Benjamin barking in the background. Um, so next time, feel free to bring him with you um, and give him a scratch for me. Um, Happy New Year to you and uh, take care. And I do look forward to connecting again soon so we can chat and catch up. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Bye. The words and the views of a Ukrainian. Odessa is on the Black Sea on the south end of Ukraine. I have learned so much about the geography of Ukraine. That's for sure. Uh, let's get the story. This is the one that Hannah was talking about. This is the apartment building that got hit. There's some amazing photos online that have uh, come through about a woman getting rec uh, uh, rescued out of her the apartment building from the side because the side of the building's missing. There's other photos about this is just somebody's kitchen that's now exposed. Uh, this report will talk about at least 30 people are still missing. Uh, Hannah did uh, clarify for us that there's 50 expected to be dead. Carolyn Curry de, Desquio, uh, de Castillo um, has more from one woman who's been helping survivors and a Calgary refugee who used to call that city home. Do you like your bracelet? Kate Shushko and her daughter fled to Calgary when the war started last year from the Ukrainian city of Dnipro. She's devastated by the tragedy that has taken so many lives in the place she once called home. It's so hard for me because we, we walk with stroller there and this is the best area in the city. To be honest, it's really the best community for 
families because there are a lot of playground. The apartment building that was home to hundreds of people was split in two after the Russian missile attack on Saturday. We felt this explosion even being uh, 30 kilometers from there. So it's it was really massive. Alexandra Holota was at the apartment on Sunday helping survivors. She remembers the sound of rubble falling down as rescuers tried to reach people inside. You start to think about how many lives just vanished. After yesterday, I like walking around and it's the only thought that is in my head now that this could happen to my house. Halota's brother's family has relocated to Canada, but despite the constant threat, she has no plans to leave Ukraine. I don't want to leave in any case. Maybe in such a case when it will be like um, the top, when I will feel like, okay, I I'm not ready to die. I want to go, but not now. I still want to help as much as I can. Russia has repeatedly denied targeting civilians in the war. For people like Kate, who have had to leave their homes and loved ones behind, they believe the attack on innocent civilians is nothing short of terrorism. That's cruel. That, that's horrible. And that's not forgiven. Carolyn Curry de Castillo, Global News. I just like to remind you, you want to talk about um, having... Uh, courage and in, in this conversation that we just had on the shift that there's a new helicopter crash that just happened in Kiev. It happened, it was announced two minutes after we got on with Hannah Shalist from Odessa and one of the ministers that died in that helicopter crash was a part of her getting her PhD. Um, and that's the kind of connections we're talking about here and her courage to still be with us on the radio. Uh, boy, it's good news Tuesday for us here on the shift. If I can't, if we, if we couldn't think of good news around us before, think of that. And she still has the courage to be with us on the radio, even though um, a very trusted person from her inner circle was in that helicopter crash that you're going to see on the news coming up tonight at 6. Uh, you're going to see all that story because um, it crashed right by a kindergarten as well, to make it worse. And yet she still was here with us. Uh, that's courage, my friends. That's resilience. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with reality TV shows? Reality? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I am. I used to hate them. But actually, no. No, that's incorrect. I watched shows like Big Brother with my parents. Uh, Survivor. I've always watched reality TV shows. However, I would say I've evolved now. My tastes have gone from watching the interesting competitions to the straight up like garbage television of, you know, bizarre TV shows like The Ultimatum, where couples, uh, you know, The Ultimatum is you need to get married or we break up. So they get these mm. couples and put them with different partners until they decide if they want to get married with their original partner you know these horrifically stupid tv shows that i watch and i think it's because it makes me feel better about myself like the yeah, the, well, the exactly. stuff that these contestants put themselves through what they're willing to do and how willing they are to be open on television and, and exposed just makes me feel so much more confident in how things are going for me <laughs> and i think that's the true beauty of reality TV show, the true gift. There are two ways to feel successful in life. 
One way is to work your butt off and crush it. The other way is to surround yourself with a bunch of people that don't care and don't work hard because you look like a champ. <laughs> and I feel like that's what reality TV shows yeah. are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Except for Dancing yeah. with the Stars. That one's always impressive. Mm-hmm. Always. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, bad TV is a cornerstone of television, really bad shows. And we can thank TV shows like The Bachelor for impressing on Ryan the, the core principles of what a loving relationship looks like. Also, for moments like this. Colton, what's your name? Bree. Bree. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. You got a nice accent. <laughs> Where are you from? Um, the accent is Australian. I was hoping that you're kind of a sucker for accents. I you know, am. What you think about it? I love it. I'll see you inside, all right? Okay, all sounds right. good. I'm not really Australian, but you have to do what you can to stand out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So that good. actually happened. That She's actually a good accent. Does a good accent, though, eh? It's pretty good. Yeah, mate. It's pretty good. <laughs> that's fantastic i know i love it can you play the very beginning of it again i want to hear her voice john just a little bit colton what's your name brie brie so nice to meet you nice to meet you that's good that's so good i feel like that actually deserves a bit of a salute ryan let's hit it just drive from town to paradise and you'll see why we call australia Not from. <laughs> that's good. I like Very that. Very good. Well done. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Okay, well, another TV show that's getting some notoriety for some unfortunate reasons. Uh, that show is the 90 Day Fiance. Put your hand up if you're surprised. Nobody? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. And one of its former contestants is also on the U.S. most wanted list. Michael Baltimore, best known for his appearances as a barber on season four of 90 Day Fiance Happily Ever After, is wanted by the U.S. Marshals for allegedly murdering his boss, Kendall Jerome Cook. According to the law enforcement agency, Baltimore has been added to its 15 most wanted list and is offering up to $25,000 in reward money for information that leads to his arrest. He's wanted in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where authorities say the 39-year-old is alleged to have shot and killed Cook and injured another man at the GQ Barbershop in Carlisle on May 22, 2021. The same barbershop where a number of scenes were filmed for the hit TLC reality show in 2019. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah. bad day of work, man. A terrible. Terrible. Whoa. I mean, I've been mad at a boss before. <laughs> but not that. that. Whoa. All right. That's from E.T., uh, by the way. That was from June of last year. The man had been on the run for months, but police finally caught him this week. How did they catch him? Police say he was arrested after trying to flee a bar fight in Florida. I don't know how things work in Florida, which from your description sounds like a colorful, lawless swamp. <laughs> I think that's the first time we've been able to get the Australia song and the Florida song in the we've, same Are You Okay? I was going to say, we have taken a tour of the world. It's like that's the trifecta of Are You incredible. Okay just happened. Wow. Whoa. It's like the Twilight nice. Zone. Never before on the shift 
The only thing missing from this story is Niagara Falls. So let's wait and see if that comes into play here, too. Thursday night, Davy police were called to a bar fight involving a man with a knife who threatened to get a gun out of his car. It's threatened to use the knife, bud. Save yourself some steps. If you're going to be violent, you've got to be efficient. Uh, police tracked uh, Baltimore down the next day. They said he had a loaded handgun, drugs, three fake IDs, cars, and they gave him a fake name. And Baltimore fingerprints linked him to the murder warrant in Pennsylvania and his most wanted status. He's now facing first-degree murder charges. Oh, no Niagara Falls. No Niagara Falls. No, no, but yeah. a drunken it's bar good news fight Tuesday, got him in jail. I'm going to feel yeah. grateful for the fact that we managed to get Australia and Florida into one Are You Okay With. That's mind-blowing. It is yeah. a beautiful thing. I feel like we should mark this moment. I'm, I'm taking Wednesday January morning, January 18th. January 18th, 2023, the first time we got Florida and Australia all into one. Pretty cool. Let's try again. Are you okay? Well, actually, you know what? Let's just take this next story and let's start it completely out of context and start here. Whoa, Ralph. Here you go, Ralph. <gasps> You choo choo choose me? Happy Valentine's. Oh, oh Lisa. Oh, oh Lisa. Um, uh, are you okay with Valentine's Day? I, I, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I have some great Valentine's Day memories, and I also have in grade six. Me and three of my friends who had crushes on girls, we wrote like, I love you letters and wrote them anonymously and put it up on the lockers. And then oh, all God. of the girls were trying to figure out who it was. And then when they found out it was us, they're like, ah, never mind. Nope, not interested. Undo. So terrible Valentine's Day. Terrible. However, and then, you know, you get an adult and you have more fun and you've got, you know, you get to have the fun dates and, you know, they wrote the true like romance of the day. You get to celebrate that. And then, like, this year, this will be my first long-distance Valentine's Day ever. And I think I'm just going to order Laura Italian food. <laughs> I'll skip the dishes. Wow. So we're going to watch the dishes like, delivery. probably a bad reality TV show. And that'll be Valentine's Day this year. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting holiday. I have mixed emotions about Valentine's Day because I hate the Hallmark holiday of Valentine's oh, yeah. Day. Yeah, it is. And I hate the fact Hallmark that... Um, I mean, I've seen some beautiful things happen on Valentine's Day, and sometimes it's terrible. And so Valentine's Day, we should never need Valentine's Day. Now, maybe that's naive of me. Any day that people stop and they spend a little time with the person that they like the most or they find the courage to confess that they have a crush or whatever it is, to me, that that's, that makes it worth it. At the same time, though, there's an awful lot of checkbox on Valentine's Day. Bought flowers, check. Got chocolate, check. Said good morning, check. Right? Went home to my wife, check. Went home to my husband, check. Now, at the same time, I've been in a store, like a flower store, which, by the way, a flower store at about 4.30 p.m. on Valentine's <laughs> Day when all the dudes are going home is a very busy place. Busiest place in the, in the, in the city, really. Because guys cannot be prepared. I mean, we can plan a trip to the airport like you wouldn't believe we can mow a lawn with straight lines unbelievable we cannot plan valentine's day and the dudes are all lined up 
all the roses and the waiting to buy the things, and a guy's debit card wouldn't work. He was crushed. Could not get. The, I have. There's no other way I can pay. I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I can't buy them. Dude behind him. Don't worry, brother. I got this for you. Paid for him. Out he went. Brothers taking care of brothers. Right. Beautiful thing. Amazing. But at the same time, though, come on. We shouldn't need it. Anyway, uh, Valentine's is right around the corner, and it can be hard on some people, too, because they feel pretty lonely on that day. But if you're having a particularly hard Valentine's Day this year, the Toronto Zoo has a solution for you. For a minimum donation of $25, the zoo will allow you to name a cockroach after anyone you know, especially your ex. It's beautiful. You can name a roach after your boss, your ex-girlfriend, your ex-boyfriend, relative, anyone else that has been bugging you. Uh, according to an official of the zoo. So if you donate, you receive a digital certificate with your name as well as the cockroach's new name that you have named it. Now, cockroaches play a very important part in ecology, rainforest, all that kind of stuff. They decompose forest litter, animal fecal matter, and all that. And in turn, they become food for many others. And they're up for naming with your ex. Now, despite their disgusting hair-raising reputation and their ability to be involved in some of the best songs ever written, cockroaches undeniably play a vital role in sustainability of plant and human uh, animal habitats. This is the first year Toronto Zoo is allowing you to name their cockroaches as part of their wildlife conservatives, uh, conservancy initiative. Would you do it? I I already have. You did <laughs> it? As I said, I did it, yes. I have I have a lot of like good exes. Like if I ran into ninety percent of my exes in public, it would be a fine coffee shop Sounds conversation. Like How are you? All that. Exes, How's it right? going? Yep, yep. But there's Should we talk about that. Talk about what? The one bad ex? But no, it's this like it sounds like you have a long, long list of exes. I have three. I have three and then there's one other one. And that one other okay. one, I I will say there was a special kind of joy of getting a certificate from a zoo that's had a cockroach yep. and then that person's name with the same same picture. Uh, and hey, it's a donation to a, a great cause. So I think it's a win-win. Very good. Win-win. I love it. All right. Well, I hope that uh, you can send me a picture of, do you want to say the name on the radio or are we going to keep that one private? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I don't need any <laughs> attention being drawn to that person. Uh, for reference, she cut my favorite Montreal Canadiens hoodie in half when I broke up with her. She cut it in half and sent me the picture of it as proof. So I'm not risking digging up that again. Nope. Well, that, that's cold, even as a guy who hates the Canadians. That's even right? that's cold. Um, all right. Oh, I want to know now. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.